Hey, good morning. Welcome once again to Freedom Bible Church. Uh, I'm Joel Zabrowski. I'm a pastor here. We're honored to have you join us on Sunday mornings or whenever you're watching this. Uh, join us for our Bible teaching. We're a church that focuses on making disciples like Jesus. And so we're using our Sunday morning Bible teaching to help families at home make disciples. We're asking the head of the homes to lead their family in a time of worship on our website. There you can find different YouTube songs that are God-honoring songs. We encourage you to use a few of those, use some prayer time, use some scripture that fuels those different um, songs that are on there, and use those as the head of the home to disciple your family. That's what we're about in our Bible teaching tries to help us focus on that. We are one week before Easter, and we're challenging our people, our Freedom family, to be a blessing this Easter. And we've been asking everybody to make a, uh, a gift bag for a friend, support a local business owner by buying a restaurant gift card. We've got some really nice Easter booklets. They're at the church building. I've put them outside the front door in a container right underneath the mailbox, right against the church building. You can go there, grab a couple, put that in the gift bag with the gift card. Uh, we like to have fun, put a roll of toilet paper in there, and um, also write out an encouraging note, some Bible verses, a prayer for your friend. We want to be a blessing and help people meet Jesus this Easter. Uh, before we get started this morning, would you join me in prayer? Father, we want to thank you for the ability to have the internet. Father, I was talking to my friend Mike from Tanzania today, and he was uh, sharing how their church, they're having to close down also. They can't meet as a group, but not everybody has the internet. Not everybody has Wi-Fi, and so it's more difficult. So I want to thank you that we have that privilege and that luxury here, Father. I pray that, that everybody that's watching today that they'll listen to you and your word, that they'll engage with you, that they'll hear your voice, and you will transform them, transform all of us. Make us followers and disciples of Jesus, and make us, Lord, use us to make other disciples as well. Uh, Lord, we pray that during this coronavirus pandemic, that you would keep people safe, protect them from getting ill from this virus, help um, our, our responders and our hospital personnel Please keep them safe. And we pray, Lord, that it would be over quickly. There's a lot of business owners and employees that are suffering from this, Lord. We pray for relief and provision and for a quick ending. Um, Lord, use this time to grow us all in more faith, more dependence on you. And may we find, Lord, may we find joy in you. Uh, pray that you would speak to us today, Father, now through Jesus. Amen. Uh, direct your attention to uh, the TV screen for a minute. You can recognize what this is. This is, I love it, it's an aircraft carrier, and it's sending out an airplane. And I was doing a little bit of research about aircraft carriers, and I read that the deck of an aircraft carrier is one of the most dangerous and loudest work environments in the entire world. Um, I read that when the crew is in full swing, there's planes landing, planes taking off, and in one careless moment, uh, one of these jet engines could suck somebody right into it, or when it takes off, it could blast somebody right off the deck of the aircraft carrier. I learned that when a plane is taking off, they actually need assistance from a catapult. There are four catapults on the deck of an aircraft carrier. 
Um, they have two cylinders and two pistons inside those cylinders. Those cylinders are the length of a football field, 100 yards long. And what they do is they fill those cylinders up with steam from the, uh, from the aircraft carrier. And then there's a guy called the catapult officer. He loads that cylinder with steam. And at the right moment, he pushes the button and it releases the catapult with the piston. And it just jettisons that jet plane off the deck into the air. Uh, I read that the system can rocket a 45,000 pound jet from zero to 165 miles an hour in just two seconds. If everything goes well, the plane just takes off, no problems at all. But if things don't go well, the, the, if, if the, the, the ejector, if the, the catapult is too slow or too fast, it could, they could just land in the ocean, they could have to eject from the, from the cockpit of the plane. It's a real in, in, incredible system there. Well, as I was looking and doing that research, I did it because this picture reminds me of a launch. And Jesus gave his disciples a launch. He launched them out. He sent them out. He sends us out into the world to share a good news message. The good news that we've heard about Jesus so that we can let other people know this good news about Jesus, that he gives us eternal life, that he gives us joy, that we can follow him and enjoy a life on earth with him, and that guarantees us a life in heaven with him if we believe and put our faith in him. We've been doing a, a series called uh, the Making Disciples Like Jesus series. Uh, the last two weeks we were in John 14, and then in John 15, and today we're going to be in John 16. In John 15, we saw Jesus tell, John 14, Jesus told his disciples that uh, if you believe in me, you're going to do the things that I've been doing. And so we asked the question, well, what was Jesus doing? And Jesus' life was all about making disciples. We're here today as a result of Jesus making disciples, who made disciples like him, who made disciples like him, who made disciples like him. And we said that becoming a disciple is a process. And we use this illustration of these chairs. We said that Jesus made disciples by, first of all, starting off with people who were in chair one, and that is simply spiritually lost people. We're all born spiritually lost. We have a problem called sin, and we're lost because of that. And Jesus gave a challenge to lost people, and that challenge was, come and see. Just come and see me. Who am I? I'm the Savior. You can be forgiven through me. You can follow me and have a good life now and eternal life later by coming and seeing. And once somebody comes to see Jesus and the lost person believes, they move to that second chair, which is what we call the believer chair. And Jesus challenges believers, hey, come and follow me. This is not the end of the race. This is the beginning of the race. Follow me. Spend time with me. Imitate me. Be comforted by me. Mature in me. It's all about following Jesus. And we saw as time went on, as people became mature and followed Jesus, he sort of moved them to this next chair. Moved them from lost to believer to a worker. Where we actually start serving other people and doing ministry like Jesus, with Jesus. The workers... Help people in chair two to follow Jesus. The workers help people in chair one 
to come and see Jesus, to put their faith in Jesus. And as you're working in the harvest field and you're helping people move to the different chairs, you actually move to that fourth chair. That's the disciple maker chair. So we saw that people become and do ministry like Jesus by moving from lost to believer to worker to disciple maker. Well then last week in John chapter 15, we saw that Jesus told his disciples to love one another. And that's what workers do with believers. We help believers to love other people. We said last week, we do this by serving other people, by being hospitable to other people, by encouraging other people, by bearing with and forgiving other people. That's how we can help believers to follow Jesus. Well, today, in John chapter 16, we're going to see how can we help lost people. How can we be workers in Jesus' harvest field by helping lost people come and see? And that's by being sent out to reach them. Well, let's give a little context before we start our Bible teaching today. Remember we said that this was Thursday night. It was just a few days before Easter. This was in the wee hours of the night, almost morning, going to Good Friday. Jesus, here's in Jerusalem. This is the north-south, east-west. Jesus would have been with his disciples somewhere up in this area, west of the temple, in the city of Jerusalem. And in John chapter 13, they were in the upper room, and Jesus washed his disciples' feet had the Last Supper. John chapter 14 is when he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And then he said, you're going to do the same things that I'm doing if you believe in me. John chapter 15, they left and they would have walked through the city. They would have gone down to the Kidron Valley and they would have started heading over to the Garden of Gethsemane. In John chapter 15 is when he said, um, you need to love one another. And today in John chapter 16, they're getting closer to that garden, and we're going to see how Jesus sent them out. I'm going to start in John chapter 15, 16, verse 5. Jesus said to them, Now, I'm going to him who sent me. I want you to remember that word sent again. I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I've said these things, you are filled with grief. Now I want to ask the question, why would this fill his disciples with grief? Think about this for a second. What's their expectation? They were expecting Jesus to come into Jerusalem and to overthrow the Roman government. They thought he would be their great deliverer, their Messiah. They thought he was going to set up his kingdom just a couple weeks before this, they were arguing about who would sit at his right and his left in his new kingdom. But now he's telling them, hey, I'm going someplace and you can't come with me. They would have thought, like, where are you going? Are you going to another country? Are you going to get on a boat and, and go overseas somewhere? What do you mean? We're, we're here in Jerusalem to set up your kingdom, man. This is the time to do it. Let's go for it. So they're filled with grief because this is not meeting their expectations. They would wonder, why is he leaving? Why is this happening? Isn't the kingdom going on now? Let's keep reading verse 7. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Here's our second send. I will send him to you. Verse 8. When he comes... He will, this is what he's going to do, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin 
and righteousness and judgment. I want you to remember those three things because we're going to look a little deeper at those things in a little bit. Verse 9. He's going he's to convict the world in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. Verse 10. In regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. In regard to judgment because the prince of this world now stands Condemned. And you might say, what was he talking about? Well, we're going to talk about that. We're going to unwrap that in a little bit. Verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now. Let me ask a question. What would Jesus, what could he possibly say that they couldn't bear? Well, this is what he could have said. He could have said, hey, guess what? We're going to go into the garden and we're going to pray. And then about 90 minutes later, Judas is going to show up. And he's going to betray me. And he's going to have a crowd and they're going to have torches and clubs. And they're going to arrest me. And then three hours from now, I'm going to be put on trial. In fact, I'm going to face six trials. Three with the Jewish religious leaders and then three with the Roman leaders. I'm going to be falsely accused and I'm going to be condemned to die. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be whipped. And in nine hours, I'm going to be spiked to some wooden beams. And then 15 hours from now, I'm going to be dead. They could not bear to hear that right now. He could have told them that, but they can't bear to hear that. Verse 13. But, he said, but when he, Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And this is pretty significant here. When he talked about the Spirit of Truth, when he talked about the Counselor, he was talking about the Spirit of God. He was talking about the Holy Spirit. And for these 11 disciples, when they heard Jesus talking about the Spirit of God, what would it, meant, what would it mean to them? You see, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon one of the patriarchs named Joseph, a great man of God. The Spirit of God came upon Moses. The Spirit of God came upon Joshua. The Spirit of God came upon numbers of the judges, a guy named Othniel, Gideon, Samson. He came upon King Saul, came upon King David, came upon the prophet Elijah, Elisha, Micaiah. The Spirit of God was significant. All these great heroes of God had the Spirit of God come upon them. So when Jesus told these 11 guys, I'm sending you the counselor, I'm sending you the spirit of truth. That would have been a big deal for them. You, they would have said, wait, you're, you think that I'm this great man of God? I'm going to do these great things, these heroic things for God? It's a big deal. And it's a big deal for us too. We're going to fast forward from that point in time on Thursday night to, uh, to a few days later to Sunday. Uh, we know that Jesus was betrayed, arrested, condemned, crucified, and died. But then on Sunday, he rose again. And in chapter 20, we're going to pick it up with verse 19. that says, On that evening, on Sunday evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. They thought that the Jews were going to do to them what they had done to Jesus. They were afraid. But Jesus came... And he stood among them. Imagine this. Here's Jesus. He's not in the same old body. He's in a new resurrected body. 
And that body cannot be stopped by doors and locks and walls. He came right in and stood there. And he said, peace be with you. I just want to point out that if you are fearful today, like these disciples were fearful in that locked room, if you're fearful because of this coronavirus, if you're fearful of getting sick, or you're fearful of a lost job and lost wages and how am I going to pay these bills, those are real legitimate fears. But Jesus brings a real legitimate peace as well during those fears. We can trust him. He has our best interest in mind. Doors and locks and walls cannot stop him. He can do the miraculous, the impossible, to help us and give us his peace. Let's read verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Why did he have to show them his hands and side? Just to give them evidence that it was him, because they didn't recognize him. He had a new resurrected body, and guess what? If you have put your faith in Jesus, if you're a believer, when you die... You will rise again and you will have a new body. So if you've got a broken down body with aches and pains and limps and bad knees and hips and bad neck, those things will be gone. You'll have a new resurrected body just like Jesus. And they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And finally, verses 21 and 22, then Jesus told them again, peace be with you. It's important that Jesus offers you his peace when you're afraid. Peace be with you. And then he says it, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. You are my sent ones. I am launching you. And verse 22, uh, and with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive that counselor. Receive that spirit of truth that I said I would give you. He gave them this amazing gift, which was reserved for heroes of God. And you and I can receive that gift too, and be heroes of God as well. And with that, let's explore this gift of the Holy Spirit. And I just want you to know that after Easter, we're going to have a, a six-week extensive look at the Holy Spirit. Who is He? What does He do? How do we access this power, this great gift? of the Holy Spirit. Next week on Easter, we've got a great message planned. I hope you'll join us and hope you'll share that with your friends too. But after that, we're going to spend six weeks looking at this, this Holy Spirit. Uh, we need the Holy Spirit if we're going to be successful as sent ones. If we're launched out, we need the Holy Spirit so that we don't crash into the water and have to hit the eject button. We need His help uh, as we're reaching the lost and helping the lost come and see Jesus. And not just that, we need the Holy Spirit just to live, just to enjoy life, just to have that peace that Jesus offered. We need the Holy Spirit to help give us that peace. And in this passage, Jesus said three things about the Holy Spirit. First of all, he said that the Holy Spirit was the counselor. And this word for counselor, it means, the Greek word's paraclete, if that means anything to you. And it means he encourages us. It means he will comfort us. And in this real time with the disciples, in about 90 minutes, their world would blast apart. They would begin to unravel. Their expectations would be dashed to pieces. 
in just nine hours, they would be stunned. They would come unglued. They would say, this cannot be happening as they see Jesus nailed to a tree. They would think, wait a minute, just a couple months ago, we saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. We saw Jesus cast out demons. We saw Jesus walk on waters. We saw Jesus with fearlessness take on the hypocrites and the religious leaders with power. And now in just a few hours, he's going to stand there silent against their false accusations and he's going to let them kill him. The world would fall apart and they would need this encourager. They would need this comforter. Their inner torment and fear and deep dismay would need the counselor, the comforter. And Jesus does that for you and me today. It was probably about 20 years ago that my wife Stacy and I uh, lost a baby, had a miscarriage, and we were crushed. We had that inner torment, that, that deep agony inside. And it was the Holy Spirit who comforted us, who loved us, reminded us from God's Word that He was close and not far away, that His eyes were upon us. Maybe during this pandemic, you've lost a job. You've lost income. And your life is starting to unravel. And you're starting to feel no peace. And the Holy Spirit comes and He comforts you. And I've been there, having lost a job, or been laid off, or been fired before. The Holy Spirit gives you that, that comfort, that relief, that peace. Maybe you've lost a loved one or losing a loved one. Uh, just on Friday, a friend of mine messaged that they took their dog to the vet and found out that the dog had cancer and would need to put the dog down that very day. Wow, that's, that's a, a harsh reality where we need the Holy Spirit to encourage and comfort us in those times of dismay. And He will do that. He'll remind you that He is there, that He is present, that God is in control, and that God loves you no matter what. Remember what God has done. He's been faithful. So Jesus sends the Holy Spirit as a counselor, a comforter, encourager. The Holy Spirit also convicts. Verse 8 says that He convicts us. And this word convict has two meanings to it. It means that it exposes and convinces. And the word picture here is that the, the Holy Spirit, He shines a light on something to expose what is true. And then that once that exposure has taken place, He convinces you that what is revealed is really true. Like for instance, if you were to walk into a dark room, completely dark, and you thought ahead of time, you know what, I'm going to go in this room, and then when the light's turned on, there's going to be a bed, and a nightstand, and a dresser in this room. But when you go in that room and they turn the light on, you are completely off. Because it's a living room, because there's a couch, and a chair, and a television in that room. When it was exposed, it revealed what was true. And when it was exposed, it convinced you that you had been wrong before. But this is true now. What the Holy Spirit does is He shines the light in our heart. You see, I might think, I'm pretty good. I'm a nice person. I shower regularly. I work hard. Uh, I'm pretty honest. But when the Holy Spirit turns on the light, it exposes, guess what's really there? 
yeah, there's some good things I've done, but I'm also, I've also done some sinful things. It exposes the truth and convinces me that I'm not good enough. That I do indeed sin and convinces me that that sin poses a problem. Verses 9 and 10 and 11 says that the Holy Spirit convicts of three things. The first thing is that sin that I was talking about. Verse 9 said he convicts us of sin. And this means the Holy Spirit exposes the true condition of my heart. That there is sin in there. And the Holy Spirit convinces us that this is true. Romans 3.23 That everyone has sinned. You've sinned. I've sinned, and I fall short of God's glorious standard because of that sin. It doesn't matter how many good things I've done. It doesn't counterbalance, uh, maybe it's just a few sinful things you've done. It does not counterbalance it. God's Word says that we've all sinned, and the Holy Spirit confirms it. He convicts us of it, convinces us, yes, that it is true that I have sinned. Uh, we all have lied, or cheated, or stolen, or gossiped, or been greedy, or angry, or jealous, or selfish. We have all sinned. He not only convinces us that we're guilty of it, but he also convinces us that it's a problem. That sin poses a problem. My sin is not just a simple, oh, I messed up. Or simple, I made a mistake. Our sin is an offense against God. It's rebellion against God. I've turned my back on God and done my own thing. I fall short of God's standard, and that brings consequences. The Holy Spirit convinces me that I've sinned, and that I have consequences, and that's a problem. And the Holy Spirit also points to the solution. For that problem. And that's the second thing that the Holy Spirit exposes to us and convinces us of, and that is in verse 10 righteousness. He convicts us in regard to righteousness. It says here, Jesus said, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. Well, what does that mean? Why can they no longer see Jesus? Well, he's going to the Father. In heaven, in fact, in chapter 14, verse 6, if you remember this from two weeks ago, Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going away. And then he says, uh, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, where I'm now going, except through me. So they cannot be with him because of the sin. But the Holy Spirit exposes the sin. That's a problem. But there's a solution. And that solution is righteousness. That they can be made righteous through Jesus you and I can be made righteous by believing in Jesus. The unrighteous will not see Jesus in heaven. The righteous will be able to be with Jesus in heaven. And we can only be righteous through Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts us, exposes and convinces us that Jesus is the only way. He's the only way. We can only be made righteous through Jesus. We can only get to the Father where he was going through Jesus. He convinces us that I've got a problem called sin. And he convinces us that there's only one solution, and that's called Jesus. 
who forgives us and he makes us righteous. And he's the only way to the Father. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. I've got a problem because of my sin. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the solution. The Holy Spirit points the way to the Father. It points the way to eternal life and that is through righteousness from Jesus. That only comes from Jesus when I ask Him to forgive my sin, replace it with His righteousness, and then I get to be with Him where He's going in heaven. The Holy Spirit is at work today convicting us and convincing us, convincing the whole world of that truth. And I want to ask you the question, have you responded to that? Have you given in to the Holy Spirit? Have you believed and put your faith in Jesus? You can do that today, right now, by saying, I believe that I have a problem called sin. There's only one solution called Jesus. Jesus, please forgive my sin and make me righteous so I can be where you are now. Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, convicts us of righteousness, and also convicts us of judgment. Verse 11 says, uh, he convicts us of judgment in regard uh, because of the prince of this world, Satan, now stands condemned. Well, what does this mean? At this point in time, Satan was just 15 hours away from having his doom sealed. The nails that were going into Jesus' wrists and feet would be the same nails going into Satan's coffin, sealing his fate. Satan faces a certain future of judgment. Revelation chapter 20, verse 10 says that Satan will be thrown into a lake of burning sulfur. And that's good news. Praise God for that, because finally, justice on this earth, we don't get a lot of justice, but justice and judgment will take place. The enemy of your soul, he has deceived you, he has tormented you, he has caused you so much grief, he's brought violence and selfishness and wickedness on this earth, he is defeated. He was defeated by Jesus on the cross, and he will face judgment. So you and I, the good news, you and I, we can escape that same judgment by being made righteous from Jesus. By asking Him to forgive us and take away our sin. And we get to be with God. Uh, there's one more thing here uh, about the Holy Spirit. And that's in verse 13. Verse 13 says the Holy Spirit will, will guide you into all truth. And that means He will instruct you and explain things to you. He'll instruct you what to do. And He'll explain to you what does God's Word mean as you're reading it. Think back to the Old Testament. The expectation in the Old Testament when the Spirit of God would come on somebody is that He would empower you for some type of heroic action. The New Testament expectation is that the Holy Spirit will bring me to faith and righteousness and freedom in Christ by convicting me of sin and righteousness and judgment. And also, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, He will reveal God's instructions to me. As I read his word. He'll give me instructions and explanations. But the key is I've got to read his word. I can't just sit out on a mountain somewhere and let him talk to me. It's reading his word. So as I read his word, maybe he's telling me, Hey, 
give to somebody, be generous to somebody, serve somebody. Uh, it was a few years ago, probably 12 years ago, um, we were going to get our Christmas tree in Montana, and we had a minivan. That wasn't the best thing to do with a Christmas tree up in the mountains. So a neighbor of mine offered to let me borrow his pickup truck. Guys from our church said, hey, you can borrow my truck. So we drove about 40 miles up into the mountains, cut down our tree, threw it in the back of the pickup, drove 40 miles back. I thanked him, gave him back the keys, parked the truck in his driveway, but I never put gas in the truck. I don't know why I didn't do that. Maybe I thought, oh, he wants to serve me and bless me. He never told me that. I just never put gas in that truck. It was probably about seven, eight years later, as I'm reading God's Word, and I forget where I was reading, but the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, hey, you never, you never put gas in that truck. And so he was telling me that I needed to make that right. So I went to uh, the store. I bought a Cabela's gift card, put it in a card, and I apologized. I said, hey, I want to ask you to forgive me. I never remember seven, eight years ago when I borrowed your pickup truck and went and got the Christmas tree. I never put gas in that truck, and I should have. And the Lord was telling me, the Holy Spirit was telling me that I needed to make that right. So here's a $50 gift card to cover that gas from those years ago. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. Guides us in the truth. He instructs us and explains to us. Well, let's wind this up by addressing that word that Jesus said four times in these verses. And that's the word sent. Or the word send. Remember that making disciples like Jesus, we are sent ones. He sends us out. First thing we need to recognize is that the Father, the Father sent Jesus to lost people. In verse 5, Jesus said, I'm going to him who sent me. The Father had sent Jesus. The Father sent Jesus to planet Earth. The Creator, Jesus, became part of his own creation when he came to Earth. Well, why did the Father send him? Why did he send them to earth? What was Jesus' mission on earth? Uh, if you've been around us for a while at Freedom, we know. We know that the, that the mission is to make disciples. That's what Jesus did. And that starts with lost people. Reaching out to lost people. Jesus said just two weeks before this event that we're looking at. He said in Luke 19.10, The Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told three parables. Maybe you know what they are. Three parables about lost things. You know what they are? The lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. And those parables were to demonstrate the Father's heart for lost people. The Father's love for lost people. Because he was searching and looking for intently lost items, lost people. And Jesus came to seek and to save those who are lost. God loves lost people so much. He loved you and me so much that he sent his son to reach us to seek and to save lost people. The father sent Jesus. And then Jesus, do you remember reading that in chapter 16, verse 7? Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to, to, to the believers. And, and he said that also in chapter 20, verse 22. Three days later, after the resurrection, Jesus breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to believers. Well, how does that work for us today? Jesus is obviously not here physically to breathe on us and give us the Holy Spirit like he did to these disciples. He sends the Holy Spirit to us. How do we receive him? 
Now listen, it, there's nothing magical or mystical. There's no ceremony that we go through. There's no laying on of hands to get the Holy Spirit. There's no ritual. There's no incantation. There's no weird thrashing around like you might see on TV. There's no speaking in other languages or having crazy outlandish laughter like you might see on YouTube. It's simply, you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe in Jesus. When you move from chair one to chair two, when you confess your sin and you receive righteousness and forgiveness, you receive the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1.15 says, You've heard the truth, the good news, the gospel, that God saves you. When you believed in Christ, when you moved to chair two, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. It's really simple. When you believe in Christ, he takes away the sin from your heart. He replaces it with the Holy, the Holy Spirit. You are now holy. You are now righteous in God's sight because the Holy Spirit resides inside you. This is simple, but this is life-changing. There's something extremely supernatural that takes place when you believe. The Holy Spirit comes in and, and that changes things. The living God resides in you. Now, you are not God because he's there. Like The Mormons would believe that and teach it, but that's not true. You are not God, but God is with you always. And God empowers you. And we're going to see more about this after Easter because this is life changing. It changed these fearful disciples who are behind locked doors. It changed them and it changes us too. But for today, um, he gives us power. Last thing that we're going to say is that um, he sends us out to do the work that Jesus did. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us. He sends us, sends believers to lost people. In chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And this word as is huge. What he's saying here is, I am sending you to do the same work as I have been doing. What the Father sent me to do, I'm sending you to do the same thing. Let's fast forward 40 days to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus has ascended into heaven. And just, or just before he ascended into heaven, he said, you're going to receive power when this Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus had already breathed on them. Uh, there's more people here now. He said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. So Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to us so that we could have power to accomplish what he sent us to do. He sent us to lost people, to help them come and see Jesus, to come and meet Jesus. We are the sent ones, sent by Jesus to expose the world to Jesus. Now, where a lot of believers have gotten off track is we think it's our job to expose the world of their sin. That's not our job. Remember, who does that? The Holy Spirit convicts people of our job, of, of their sin. Our job is simply to point them to Jesus. Yeah, you know that you've sinned. God provides a solution, and it's called Jesus. You can be forgiven. You can be made righteous in Jesus.
Our job as sent ones is to take the good news to those who are lost, because we once were lost too. What's our message? Sin can be forgiven through Christ and because of Christ. Now, my friends, Satan will oppose you. He will try to make your life miserable. He will try to make you fearful so you don't take this message. But remember, Satan has been judged. He has been condemned. His future is sealed. We can be free. We can have power from this Holy Spirit to be sent by Jesus in his power to take this message. And I want to challenge you uh, this week. This is leading up to Easter. Take advantage of this week to, to be a blessing, to, to make that gift bag and give that to a lost friend. Ask the Father, who do you want me to give this to? And then look for opportunities to verbally share your story. Tell people how you became found, how you once were lost. Use this week. Pray for people this week. This is a pivotal week where the Holy Spirit can work on people's hearts to expose their sin, expose them to Jesus, and they can respond to Him. What's our pathway this week? I'm going to encourage you, challenge you to memorize uh, that John 20, uh, 20, verse 21, where Jesus um, uh, told them that they received power from the Spirit. Memorize John 20. And then um, read this week Romans 1 through 6. If you say, yeah, I might... I might have a hard time explaining the gospel to people. Romans 1 through 6 will help you understand the good news of Christ. And then pray for friends who don't know Christ to be convicted of sin and receive righteousness through forgiveness of that sin through Christ. And then reach out to your friends. You are Jesus sent one. Reach out this week with God's message of forgiveness in Christ. Uh, let's pray together. Father, I've got many friends who I really care about and love that, that I don't know. I don't know if they know you. I don't think they know you. I pray, God, that your spirit would work on them, convicting them in their heart, exposing them of their sin, and convince them that it's a problem and that you've provided a solution. They can be made righteous through Jesus, Father. And we can escape condemnation, the judgment that awaits Satan. We can escape it through Christ. And I pray, Father, you would fill each one of us with your Holy Spirit. He's there. I pray that we would listen, that we would read your word, listen to your instructions, follow your leading. And, and Lord, we know, we know that you're leading us to be your sent ones. Show us who you're sending us to. Help us to obediently share your love with them. Share the good news with them. I pray, God, that we would be workers, helping believers to follow, helping the lost to see Jesus by the way that we live and by the words that we say. Empower us, please, Father. Empower us by your Spirit through Jesus. Amen. Well, we look forward to seeing you next week. Next week is Easter. Invite your friends. And remember, be a blessing to somebody this week. God bless you. Thanks for joining us today.